1 John chapter 4. Now I'll do my best to keep you awake. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 10, says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. He that loveth not, knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and his son, his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And so, just title this, Love is of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity and privilege we have to open your precious word. Thank you for the day we've enjoyed already, from your word and food and the fellowship. Pray now as we look into the Word of God again this afternoon that we just be encouraged and challenged in, in this relationship we have with you and understanding that you love us in spite of ourselves. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, as many things today, love is one of those things that's very much misunderstood in our world. Um, we have this uh, Santa Claus mentality of what love is. Uh, we have the idea that God is God is is loving, and He will overlook our sin. And you know, somehow, uh, because He's a God of love, that uh, uh, you know, it doesn't matter how we live; everything is going to be all right in the end, and that all roads lead to God. Well, that sounds good and warm and fuzzy, but it's not true. It's not true. You know, a Bible definition of love is found in Romans chapter 13 and verse 10. Romans chapter 13 and verse 10. Romans chapter 13 and verse 10 says, love worketh no ill to his neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Now, when we think of the law, we don't have usually positive thoughts. Because the law declares us guilty before God. So we don't usually have positive thoughts when we think about the law. But the law also tells us or instructs us how to rightly relate to one another. Thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not commit adultery. You know, adultery is taking what belongs to somebody else. Um, You know, all those things have to do with our relationship with our neighbor. And and this is what the the Bible is saying here, if you back up to verse 9, for this... Thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. If there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. So to right, re- rightly love somebody, we have to, we have to 
uh, uh, treat them in a way that lines up with God's law. In other words, we have to do right by them. Uh, we have to give them what is right. Now, and I want you to notice something. It doesn't say anything in here, well, it, what if they don't really do right to me? Because love is not conditioned on or dicta- be dic- by, dictated by what is given to us. And a perfect example of that is uh, in verse 10 of our text. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Of course, Romans 5.8 says, God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So true love or biblical love is not predicated upon what someone else does to me. That should not change my love for them. God, you know, what I do or what I did uh, or who I am, a sinner, that was at enmity with God does not change the fact that God loved me and sent his son to be the payment or the satisfaction for my sin. To satisfy God's righteous demand. That's what propitiation means. God was satisfied with the sacrifice of Christ for me and you. So, again, love is a choice not dictated upon by what others do to us. Now, I have a few things here that I just want to mention. This is more of a topical message. But anyway, and I originally called this the ABCs, but it's more than A, B, and C, so bear with me. Um, First of all, love accepts you as you are. Now, that's not a justification for sin. But you don't have to clean up your life to come to God. You know, a lot of people have this idea, well, I, I get some things right, then I'll come to God. Well, if that's your mentality, you never will. And often people that say that to me never have come to God. Because they feel like they have to earn some kind of favor with God. No, God accepts us as we are. If we come to him in his terms, uh, you know, just repenting of our sin and, and willing to ex- receive him as our Lord and Savior, he'll accept us as we are. Remember what he said to the Pharisees, that the publicans and sinners enter in before you. In other words, he didn't come to call the righteous to repentance, but sinners. In Matthew chapter 9 and verses 11 through 13, Matthew chapter 9, verses 11 through 13, we see that example of this. Matthew 9, it says, when the Pharisees saw it, well, let me drive back out to verse 10 to get the context here. And it came to pass, as Jesus sat at meat in the house, behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? But when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, they that behold need not a physician, but they that are sick. But go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. For I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners 
to repentance. See, he, he came to show mercy, to save that which is lost. And he, he will, you know, the, the Lord will accept uh, anyone as his own. Uh, he, will, he, will, he loves anyone who will come to him by repentance and faith. You know, and, and it doesn't matter where you come from, what class and society you are, uh, what kind of sin you've been involved in. It doesn't matter. God loves us. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So he accepts us as we are. Uh, we just need to come to him on his terms. Secondly, he believes, love believes, I shouldn't say he, love believes that you are valuable. Look at Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Verse 26. Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, and they toil not, neither do they spin. Yet I say unto you, that even Solomon all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast in the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye, of little faith. Look at chapter 10, verse 29. Chapter 10, verse 29. He says, And are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? And one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear ye not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. You know, what is more valuable in the mind of God than a soul? In Matthew chapter 16, he states this in Matthew 16, in, in uh, verse 26, uh, verse 25 and 26 says, For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if you gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for the soul, for his soul. You know, what, there's nothing more valuable to, the, to God than a soul of man. Uh, it's, it's not God's will that any should perish. An example in Matthew 18, verse 11 through 14, again, he says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. How think ye, if a man have a hundred sheep, and one of them be gone astray, Doth he not leave the ninety-nine and goeth into the mountains and seek that which has gone astray? And if so, be that he find it. Verily I say unto you, he rejoiceth more of that sheep than of the ninety and nine which went not astray. Even so, it is not the will of your Father which is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. You know, John 3.16, we often quote that, but you ever stop and think about the context? Who's he referring to? When he said... He told, he's, he's talking to Nicodemus, of course, but he's reminding them of a, of a situation that happened in the wilderness when the children of Israel murmured and complained against Moses. And then God told them, and they, God sent fiery serpents among them to bite them, and so he, they cried unto Moses then again and, and, and in repentance, and so God told Moses to build that, make that brass serpent to put upon a pole, and whosoever looked on it would be healed. 
see, and it's in that context. You know, that's the verses right before verse 16. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. For God so loved. You know, again, the reference is to Israel in the wilderness. Murmuring, complaining, but God still loved them. In spite of who, in spite of what they were. So, love believes you are valuable. You are valued. Thirdly, love cares when you hurt. And of course, God is love. And God cares when we hurt. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7 says, Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. You know, in Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 36, he talks about that he had compassion on them, for they were sheep scattered abroad, as sheep having no shepherd. We know in John chapter 11, when he came to the grave of Lazarus, and he saw all the people weeping and, every, and, you know, and the sorrow and the heartache that sin brings into the, into the world, it says in verse 33 of John 11, When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping, which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled, and said, Where have you laid him? And they said unto him, Lord, come and see. And of course, verse 35 says, Jesus And it says in verse 36, Then said the Jews, Behold how he loved them. Some of them said, Could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind have caused that even this man should not have died? See, God loves us. And he cares when we hurt. You know, Hebrews chapter 4 tells us that he understands uh, our infirmities. In Hebrews 4 and verse 15 it says, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. And let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy, may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You know, God knows, and God cares when we are in need, and God understands, our, our Lord understands, because he was tempted like as we are. Every sin comes under one of three categories. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, or the pride of life. And Jesus was tempted in all those areas. He bore our sin. Can you imagine giving your life and being crucified as he was? And he loves. He cares even for those that are oven loving. You know, this is kind of hard to grasp coming, you know, from a human standpoint. In Matthew chapter 23, you know, the Pharisees have, throughout his earthly ministry, the Pharisees have uh, accused him, trying to find fault with him. They've criticized him unjustly, uh, tried to, you know, to get him to... to uh, uh, trip himself up or make a mistake or something, you know, fact that, that, that have whereof to accuse him. But in Matthew 20, chapter 23, in verse 37, he says this, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathered her chickens under her wings, 
and ye would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate, for I say unto you, ye shall not see me henceforth, till ye shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. And there's a note in my Bible that says, this is this Jesus lamenting over Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem. You know, you were the ones that killed the prophets, and you're going to kill me. And I would have gathered you like a hen gathereth her chicks. But you would not. Do you ever think about, you know, the Bible says in, uh, I think it's Hebrews, that he's seated at the right hand of the Father. But when Stephen was being stoned, Stephen said, and I see Jesus standing. You know, I believe that the Lord was so moved by Stephen's stoning that he stood. He stood. He wasn't seated. You see, the Lord cares when we hurt. Fourthly, the Lord desires what is best for us. And that's what love does. Love desires what's best, not what's easiest, not what's comfortable, what's best. What's best? Uh, Go to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastisement, I'm sorry, if ye endure chastening, God dealeth you as with sons. For what son is he whom his father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all partakers, then are you bastards and not sons. Uh, if you drop down to verse 11, or verse 10, it says, For they verily for a few days, talking about our fathers, chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now no chasing for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees, make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, and let, let it rather be healed. See, the Lord loves us, and he desires what's best for us, not what's easiest for us. You know, many times our problem is we need to, we, we need to get out of our comfort zone. We get comfortable in things, you know, sometimes in things that are not pleasing to the Lord. And so uh, sometimes we have to be, have to be chastened out of our comfort zone. Sometimes it requires chastening for us to see our sin. You know, the psalmist said, it's going to be good for me that I be inflicted, that I might learn thy precepts. You know, loving someone does not mean you give them what you want. If you give your children what they want all the time, what kind of what kind of children will they be? I can assure you one thing. There will be children I will, do not want to be around. 
I see them all the time at Walmart, at Food Lion. They're getting what they want. Kind of reminds me of Isaiah chapter 3 where it says their children shall rule over them. They, they tell their parents basically what to do. They're brats. They're, they're, they're you know, undisciplined, uncontrolled tyrants. No, if you love your children, you're going to instruct them and you're going to discipline them because you love them. You want them to do what's right. See, because you desire what's best for them, not what they think is fun or enjoyable or what they need. No. In fact, go to, go to uh, Psalm 141. Psalm 141. Psalm 141. Verse 5 says this, Psalm 141, verse 5. Let the righteous smite me, it shall be a kindness. Let him reprove me, it shall be an excellent oil, which shall not break my head, for yet my prayer also shall be in their calamities. When their judges are overthrown in stony places, they shall hear my words, for they are sweet. So let the righteous, the psalmist says here, let the righteous smite me. It shall be a kindness. You know, a parent will righteously, we could use the word smite, spank their child, and it is a kindness to that child. Uh, You know, Proverbs says, uh, he that loveth his child chasteneth him betimes. And so, you know, again, he's talking here about being smitten by a righteous person, and it's a kindness. Let him reprove me. That's to, to, to tell me what's wrong. And he says, it shall be an excellent oil. It's like an ointment that you put on to make to refresh yourself. And see... Proverbs says this, open rebuke is better than secret love. I was, and this is a kind of silly illustration, but when I worked at, uh, I worked in a welding shop for a year and a half, um, and there was a guy come in there one day uh, that, I, that I knew, and um, he pulled out his tobacco and and uh, went to put a, a big jaw of it, you know, in his lip. I guess it was snuff. I don't know. Back. I can't remember which it was. Anyway, and he said, you want some of this? And I said, no, I don't think so. I said, I said, uh, that, that's, that's not good for you. He said, oh, well, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it won't hurt you. I said, yeah, you tell me that when you have cancer of the lip. Or, oh, don't talk like that, you know. Well... That's often what happens to those that do that kind of stuff. Um, and maybe that's not a good illustration, but, but you know what? Open rebuke is better than secret love. You know, love desires what's best for you. You know, the purpose, the purpose of church discipline as taught in the Bible is not to chase people away. 
It's to encourage them or challenge them to get right with God for their own good. Look at, look at uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. And, and, it ought, and it needs to be done in that manner. It ought to be done. Your church discipline ought to be exercised in a, in a broken heart. It ought to, it ought to grieve us. Second um, Thessalonians chapter three, verse. Let's start at verse ten. For even when we were with you, this we command you that if any man would not work, neither should he eat. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. Now them that are such, we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. But ye, brethren, be not weary in well-doing. And if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man have no company with him, that he may be ashamed. Yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. So they were to to note him. They were to to not have company with him. That means they were to to vote him out of the church. They were exercised discipline. But it says they were to count him, don't not not to count him as an enemy, but as a, they were to admonish him. To admonish means to to warn, to put into mind. Look, you need to get what you need to get right with God. You're you're headed for for hurt and destruction if you persist in your sin. And so. So the love doesn't give us what we want. It gives what is best for us. It gives what is best for us. Then once you notice also, love also erases all offenses. Uh, and there are many verses we could look at, look at that for us. But look at our text in 1 John chapter 4. Again, verse 9 in this was manifest the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him here in His love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. And again, it's the idea of propitiation, the fact that God sent His Son to be the substitute for our sins. He took our sins upon Himself, and He gives to us His righteousness, and now we're no longer condemned by God. Our sins have been forgiven. We've been cleansed. And our offenses have been removed as far as the east is from the west. So far has he removed our sins from us, the Bible tells us. You see, love forgives and cleanses. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. Again, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. It says, To the praise of His glory, of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace. You know, Jesus, when Jesus was instituting the Lord's Supper, He said, This blood is New Testament, my, this, this cup is the New Testament, my blood, is given you for the remission of sins. See, his blood was shed for the remission of our sins. That word remission means the sending away of. The sending away of. 
it's a picture of the scapegoat. You know, in Leviticus, the Bible talks about they were to bring two goats. And one they were to slay at the altar and offer it. The other one, the live goat, the priest, was to lay his hands on the head of the goat. And, and it was an act of, of transferring the sins of the people onto the head of the goat. And then they were to give that goat to a fit man and take it out into the wilderness. Scape goat. That goat was to be taken out in the wilderness and left. Not to be brought back in. See, that's a picture of God taking our sins upon himself and taking them away, never to be brought back again to us. You see, it's the love of God that erases all our offenses. You know, one definition I saw of this scapegoat is this, is, was called, referred to it as the goat of departure. Our sins are departed from us. God has taken them away. I like what it says in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12, and Hebrews chapter 10, verse 17. And their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. Because the love of God through His Son has taken them away. And so, of course, the the greatest demonstration of this one of my favorite verses, 2 Corinthians 5.21, For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And so, love erases all offenses. Our sins are taken away. All our offenses against God are removed in the person of his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. For he is the propitiation for our sins. And not just for our sins, as 1 John 1 or 2 1 tells us, but for the sins of the whole world. See, God is love. God is love. And the mark of true discipleship of the Lord is, is that we love one another. But love can be summed up, again, by Romans 10 13. Love is doing right to your neighbor. Fulfilling the law to your neighbor. It gives without expecting in return. Love is really giving. You know. And so we need to understand that God loves us. He loves us in spite of who we are. He believes we are of value. He desires fellowship with us. And we ought to love one another and to love the world. Allow him to love the world through us. Uh, you might look at some people. Maybe, maybe I'm the only one that ever does, did this kind of thing or does this kind of thing. You look at some people and you say, huh, I mean, there's just no hope for them. You know, sometimes we like to categorize people when we think, well, you know, they're, they're, you know we think that, that's pretty nice, but there's be some hope for them. And then we look at somebody else and we say, no, there's no hope for them. Hey, as long as they're alive, there's hope. As long as they're alive, there's hope. Because God loves what we consider the unlovable.
And we need, we need to nurture that kind of love in our own hearts as we draw near to him. Love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. And we love him because he first loved us. How is it with you this afternoon? Is God demonstrating his love through you?